0: Hey everyone, this is Will from Beijing, China, and welcome to this brand new and exciting episode of The Missing Piece. I want to say this with sincerity and also with a bit of fear, that more than a month later, exactly one month later, the world still is being terrified about the war in Ukraine. If you follow our show, that throughout the multiple recent episodes that you know that Will has been talking actively with international uh, communities, um, experts, and also a political scientist, and we are trying our best to understand this ongoing war in Ukraine at this moment, and again, tomorrow when, when we wake up in the morning and we don't know what is going to happen to the people in Ukraine and we don't know what's going to happen to the country of Ukraine. And so far, more than 1 million people, this is a horrendous number, more than 1 million people have already left the country of Ukraine. And right now, they are being crowned with the name called refugees and the countries in the u.s and the countries in the europeans and including more countries in the continent of asia in the continent of africa are joining the effort and they're condemning this horrendous and terrifying action carried out by vladimir putin if you follow our show closely at the beginning 48 hours after the first or initial attack by russian military that i was so fortunate and speak to one of my close friends who lived in ukraine at the moment and of course that he shared with us so much more that after 48 hours what the country looked like and how people felt and specifically where the country of ukraine headed next in the midst of uncertainty And ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor, of course, I always say to Mike that I really appreciate that after the month later and we are still connected, and I want to invite Mike back on the show and to share with us some of the um, updates and also most importantly that we need to talk about. When can we stop or if we can hypothetically the war and what is the ultimate goal that Vladimir Putin is trying to accomplish at this moment? So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome back our good friend, Mike Alder from Ukraine. And Mike, welcome back to The Missing Piece.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: Mike. I, again, as I mentioned in the intro, it's rather difficult and this is believe me, this is not the pleasant conversation that I would love to you know to share or to talk with you and also with the people who are listening on uh, to this episode. But let's start with the first question. One month later, Vladimir Putin has not stopped this war. And again, as I mentioned before, more than 1.4 million people fled Ukraine. So they are becoming refugees and they're flooding to other countries, all the way to Polish, I mean, to Poland and to some of the countries in Europe. So can you tell us, since you are still based in Ukraine, can you give us some updates? What is the ongoing situation right now in Ukraine and how bad or how devastating it is for people to continue to live in this country today?
1: Well, like since the last time we've talked, uh, we've seen the, the so-called Plan A of uh, the Russian invasion. So what, what I mean by the Plan A is that we witnessed uh, the upcoming Russian troops uh, around the capital city of Kiev. But as you know, by the end of March, they've been pulled out, so there are no more Russian troops around the capital city of Kiev. And I heard that it was supposed to be plan A of the Russian invasion, so what was the plan of this plan A of, uh, you know, uh, getting closer to the capital city? Uh, so, as far as I know, there's, the Russians planned a coup uh, in the capital city. So, uh, they had some supporters inside the capital city and they relied on them. But, but eventually, it didn't work out. Mm. So, um, yeah, finally, it didn't work out. So, the, the Russians were not able to stage a coup in the capital city. So, so uh, they decided to pull out their troops. Mm. from around the capital city. But uh, they started transferring their troops from from the region of the capital city to the Donbass region. Mm. And uh, recently everybody's talking about so called second phase of the Russian invasion or plan B. Mm. So like just now I was talking about plan A. So Plan A didn't work out, so they had to go to they had to start Plan B. And Plan B, well, uh, it's gonna be so-called the Battle of Donbass. So, there's uh, a large concentration of Russian troops on on the border and in the area of Donbass. And out of all military experts, because uh, I'm not a military expert, Hmm. out of all military experts I've listened to, most of all, I liked the comment of the U- U.S. General Wesley Clark when he was like reporting to the CNN journalist, and he said that um, so far Ukraine gets lots of uh, support uh, from the Western allies, but uh, this support is primarily you no know, anti-tank equipment for soldiers. But uh, Wesley Clark said that it's not enough. So, to ultimately defeat Russia, Ukraine needs uh, heavy artillery and aircraft. And uh, there are unfortunately lots of problems on its way. of so like, you know, getting not just anti tank equipment for soldiers, but also heavy artillery and aircraft. And, um, That you probably remember the first uh, demand of Ukraine towards Western allies was to close the sky over Ukraine. It means uh, uh, turn on anti-missile, anti-aircraft systems of the NATO against Russian aircraft and Russian missiles. But uh, the Secretary General of NATO said that it's not going to happen. So the NATO will not, you know, intervene openly in the Ukrainian crisis, hmm. and uh, that was also the the, the the position of Germany remains very um, unstable. I would say I'll put it this way, or hmm. there's obvious lack of, you know, decisiveness in the position German you know, hmm. in, in terms of supplying, although. I heard that recently uh, Germany agreed to supply around 100 um, units of of, uh, military vehicles, and then uh, the neighboring country of Slovakia also wanted to supply around, if I'm not mistaken, 11 aircraft to help Ukraine. Mm. But you know, meanwhile, you know, uh, like they're they're. Their hesitancy is obvious, you know, that the, the Western neighbors of Ukraine are hesitating. So they're not, you know, just spying all the like aircraft and, you know, artillery and all this other equipment immediately, they're just waiting. For, and uh, recently, several days ago, uh, President of France, uh, Emmanuel Macron, hmm. called Russia and Ukraine two brothers. Well, it's quite a bold statement to say, you know. Like when the two countries are at war with each other, and the president of France decided to make such a um, bold statement, mm-hmm. and, uh, I think that it was not, you know, uh, he said this on purpose, and like, um, like holding Ukraine and Russia to and he tries to pursue his some political agenda because, as you know, the upcoming uh, presidential election in France. That's right. He, and Emmanuel Macron wants to play a role, of, you know, pacifier, uh peacekeeper in Europe. Like he wants to sort of uh, calm down both Ukraine and Russia. But, but his efforts are are in vain to, to this point, mm. put it this way, so. And um, also that President Biden recently said that he he is considering uh, the option of um, paying a visit to President Zelensky in Kiev. you know, to sort of cheer him up to support Ukraine by showing his, you know, that he's ready to come and visit uh, Ukrainian prisons, so mm. I think it's quite a strong gesture. But as I said, you know, it's, uh, again, I refer to uh, U.S. General Wesley Clark, and I trust, I trust his authority when he said that, you know, supplying anti-tank equipment is not enough for Ukraine to win this war. Mm. Ukraine needs much more heavy equipment, I mean, heavy artillery, you know, it's aircraft, all this stuff, so without all this support from the West, uh, um, well, General Wesley Clark said that it's going to be an extremely tough challenge for Ukraine to win this war. Mm. And so far, like, uh, I already brought up so-called Plan B, or the upcoming Battle of Donbass, There is a concentration of both... uh, Russian-Ukrainian troops in the Donbass Domb- area, and uh, civilians are, are are being evacuated from this areas of Donbass. So unfortunately, we we're, we're going to see uh, a large scale battle with a much greater scale of uh, destruction an even greater flow of refugees, and uh, uh, I apologize, but I want to correct you when you said that there's over 1 million refugees in Ukraine. Um, unfortunately, there are already over 4 million refugees wow. out in Ukraine. And there are more than 2 million refugees in Poland alone. Mm. So there are like up to 4 million yeah, people already mm. fled the country entirely. and. Uh, Around six million people are displaced inside the country. So, like, when you, you, like, we have warfare in the east. So Ukrainians from the east they flee toward the central Ukraine or western Ukraine. But they are, you know, like internally displaced people. Mm. They're sort of refugees too because they lose their homes, uh, their shelter, their jobs.
0: Um. Yeah. Mm. Devastating. It's even more devastating and heartbroken to hear that the number increased drastically. I mean, four million people. I mean, that was that, that is just very unexpected. But again, just based on what you explained to us initially, and I, I again based on the report and the news that we're following. When you are saying that Ukraine or Ukrainian government needs help, needs support with the military weapons and however, the, or the, even the financial resources for the government, but I want to ask the question, Mike, don't you think that the Russians they're equally vulnerable as well. I mean, you think about it, it doesn't matter how hungry the Russian government is, or it doesn't matter how brutal the Russian militaries are, but in reality, they're also losing their capabilities, and their tanks were being destroyed, and their uh, uh, the the people on the front line were being uh, their lives were being taken away unexpectedly as well. So my next question is: even though they know that they are losing the war, or they are losing the credibility of the war, why do you think those people, or why do you think the Russian government kept on pressing forward?
1: Like mm. as you remember, like as Ukrainian, I would say that you know the war didn't start on February twenty fourth, twenty twenty two. It started in twenty fourteen, along with the annexation of Crimea mm. in twenty fourteen. Yeah. So it's not the start of the war. It's like uh, I would call it the second phase of the. So the the, the warfare has been going on for eight years already. Mm. Yeah. So. Uh, I remember that, uh, like, in February, Putin made some announcement, a statement that, well, actually, he gave a lecture on history of Russia, history of Ukraine. Like, he sort of sees uh, these two countries as, you know, having a common historical background. And, like, he used this as a, as a justification of his invasion of Ukraine. So that is why I think uh he's not backing down. So like he's continuing to attack, because like in his mind, in his vision, like, Russia and Ukraine share like, you know, uh, historical background, sort of uh, tied up to each other. You know, yeah, I would call it the, the main motivation. I heard also, also other motivations that hmm, uh, Russia is concerned with, uh, you know, NATO's expansion uh, eastwards. Well, as you know, there are three Baltic states that are already members of NATO. Yeah. Mm, there is a small country called Estonia mm. that is already a NATO member. And if you look on the map, the distance between Estonia and uh, Russia's second largest city of St. Petersburg is only 150 kilometers. So when Putin talks about, you know, he's uh, scared of NATO enlargement at the, at the expense of Ukraine. And he talks about missiles, NATO missiles that are gonna, you know, target to Russian cities. Um, Estonia is already 150 kilometers away from St. Petersburg and it's a NATO member. But like Estonia joined NATO back in. 2004. And so in my opinion, you know, I'm trying to use this, uh, argument of, you know, uh, potential missile missile attack from Ukraine, if Ukraine joins NATO, well, it's far fetched. So,
0: hmm. yeah. well, Mike, but again, you know, um. I have to remind everyone that, again, you know, as we are speaking to Mike at this moment, everything is so unpredictable. Yeah. Again, especially that when we are talking about this modern warfare, Mike, I want to ask something more tangible. You know, we, we have been um, diving into this history and also this um, historical relationship between Ukraine and Russia and etc. But I want to bring something more tangible is, again, you are in Ukraine and you can verify this information more than anyone else. Or you can validate this information uh, better than anyone else that I've been talking to. Rumor on the street that current leader Vladimir Zelensky is thinking about, or perhaps he was hinting, that Ukraine perhaps should pull out the decision of joining the NATO. You know, so one thing, again, the very fundamental question that everyone was asking was, was just because that Ukraine would like to join NATO, became an ally with other countries, that aggravated or that agitated the Russian government. So that's why that was start the war in the first place. And the second question is, from your perspective, would you agree, or would you support that for the uh, the Ukraine gov- Ukrainian government decided not to join the NATO or not to be the ally with the NATO partners in order to avoid greater casualty? Can you share with us what are your thoughts on those?
1: Well, uh, in the end of March, there was uh, negotiation between Ukraine and Russia in Turkey. In uh, in The city of Istanbul, and yes, like you're right when you said that President Zelensky already considered, and he and he said it publicly that he was considering, you know, uh, like like he was like, let's put it this way, he was tired of uh, asking for having uh, Ukraine uh, invited to join NATO. Mm-hmm. So, like, he was so tired of. Like it was, and became obvious to everybody that NATO is not going to uh, accept Ukraine like in the nearest future. And, uh, yes, you're right uh, that President Zelensky tried to use it as a, you know, bargain chip when when negotiating with Russia that, like, uh, President Zelensky no longer saw it, you know, feasible for Ukraine to join NATO in the nearest future. So he was sort of ready to give up on this option. Mm. And I would like to add that uh, back in 2013, uh, the outstanding American diplomat, Henry Kissinger, Mm. he said that uh, he would like to see Ukraine a neutral state as Finland. As you know, there is another European country, Finland, that also also borders with, with Russia. That's right. And as you know, it it, it it is not a NATO man because, you know, it sort of uh, tries to be careful because its uh, neighbors Russia and Henry Kissinger said that it would be great that Ukraine would be something like Finland. Hmm. And I have deep respect for this man because as you know, Henry Kissinger was one of the American diplomats that also helped to build uh, friendly relations between the United States and China back right. in the early 1970s. That's right. So as I said, I have very deep respect for this man, for Henry Kissinger. He's uh, one of the greatest diplomats I think, of the 20th century. Yeah. He was also like, you know, not only China, but also Saudi Arabia became, you know, uh, U.S. partners back in the time when he was you know, like, uh, in the office of President Richard Nixon. Mm. So, as I said, I have a deep respect for Henry Kissinger. And back um, um, like in 2014, I think his idea of making Ukraine something like Finland, that would be, you know, pro Western country, but at the same time, it wouldn't be NATO member. Like, my personal think that was a brilliant idea, excellent idea. But unfortunately, well, Henry Kissinger, um, I don't know, no, nobody listened to him, but so, you know, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, Ukraine went a different direction. So, even mm. you now, like, if we go back to Finland, you know, there's some uh, rumors that uh, Finland is going to join NATO because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But, you know, like, I wouldn't be so sure that it's going to happen very fast. So. Well there's still some probability it's gonna happen. Finally like gonna join NATO, but um, there's I don't know, it's very hard to to discuss this issue right
0: now. Mm. Well, Mike, let's let's talk about the current leader of Ukraine, Zelensky. Since the first day of the war until today President Zelensky, it's no longer just a president for Ukraine. It actually has become a major international icon. Or if I can uh, uh, rephrase that, or if I can put it in a uh, a more uh, modest way, he's an international hero. I mean, you think about it. He has been uh, invited by... Uh, the media across the continent um, to share the message and also he was he has been actively calling on uh, uh, upon uh, neighbors neighboring countries and you know um, allies and friends to support Ukrainian government and also, that he was invited multiple times by the U.S. media to show that how brutal and how uh, uh, heartless the Russian militaries are when they are treating the people in Ukraine or when they're uh, brutalizing the people in Ukraine. From your perspective, that I want to know that what is your take on Zelensky today? And the second thing is, do you think that because of the war or because of everything going on right now, that actually elevated the image of Zelensky to the next level? So in other words, he's no longer just a political figure. He's no longer just a leader of the country. As a matter of fact, he is someone that the world needs today to embody the word of peace, the word of uh, a common interests, and even to share the, um, how can I say, the compassionate uh, human being that we are we are supposed to be.
1: Yeah, uh, as you know, um, as you may know, that uh, President Zelensky used to be an actor. I mean, he used to be a very, extremely popular actor, mm. comedian. For many years, like for, I would say, almost 20 years, he has been the most popular and loved actor in Ukraine, and also, by the way, Russia, yeah. Like he used to shoot in Russian movies, comedies, so yeah, he was pretty well known and loved in Russia too. And like, he definitely knows how to to talk to the audience, to, to Western media, how to impress the public, how to give a speech that would impress everybody. Yeah, he's pretty good at it. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with you. It's like, because as I said, he's used to this, you know, attention. He's like an actor. Like, uh, he's very good at presenting ideas and giving speeches. He's very good at it. So, yeah. I'm not surprised that he's so popular right now in the world, especially in the West, that the Western leaders love him so much. So I'm not surprised because he's indeed a very talented person when it comes to um, public speaking. He's an extremely talented public speaker. Yeah, I agree.
0: But does his public image today actually help the country of Ukraine? So in other words, this is a war we're talking about right now. We don't need an actor to be in a war to tell us what to do. And we don't need someone because of the war, all of a sudden to become famous. You know, because people's lives are on the line and this country is on the line. So again, the future of Ukraine, the future of Russia If we could call it the future of this bilateral relationship, it's on the line. So again, from your perspective, if we put all the celebrity, if we put all the entertainment aspect on the side, how would you perform? I mean, how would you rate and how would you evaluate the performance of Zelensky so far? I would say
1: that the president is doing his best, but as I said before, like, uh, Ukraine got into a situation when uh, too much depends on the West. You know, Western support of Ukraine. So, as I said, like I referred previously to the U.S. General Westwood Corps, too much depends on supply of heavy artillery and their aircraft. And, like I'm just, um, uh, I'm surprised that you know the, the the footage of atrocities of Russian troops uh, throughout Ukraine are not enough for. Western leaders to decide decide to supply Ukraine with arms, Mm. with the heavier uh, artillery and aircraft. So, yeah, it's kind of a very awkward situation in Ukraine right now. Because, yeah, as I said, too much depends on the Western support of Ukraine. And in my opinion, the president is doing his best. To to call out to the world asking for help. I think he's he's doing his best at this moment.
0: How long do you think that the country of Ukraine can hold all this war? And how 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 much do you think that the Russian its our military are going to give up until they're completely exhausted? their resources. So in other words, when can we expect the end of this conflict?
1: Um, I've heard some of the calculations that um, Russia's resources are limited and, well, in total, uh, Russia could, you know, continue the attack for 150 days Mm. from the report of some analysts like Mm. uh, I got familiar with. Mm, but mm, you know that there, there are some concerns about the uh, natural resources of Russia that are almost endless. Mm. So, as you may know, Russia is the world's top exporter of wheat. Mm. So, while 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 in Asia uh, the most popular uh, product is rice, uh, in, in the West the most popular product is wheat. In Russia is the top exporter of wheat, and uh, the United States, if I'm not mistaken, used to be the second largest exporter of wheat, and Ukraine has, has is the third largest exporter of wheat. So, like, uh, uh, I've already heard lots of information that you know this crisis, uh, this war. Is going to lead to a famine in Africa and Middle East because Ukraine used to export its wheat to, uh, you know, to Middle Eastern countries such as like Egypt, uh, like Jordan, some Syria, Iraq, um, because like you know these countries uh, they are covered in deserts, uh, like they're you know not enough water to grow enough crops. And uh, the United Nations already expects uh, famine this year because of, you know, Russia crisis. Mm. So, yeah, uh, because right now the the, the maritime routes are cut off. As you know, there's, there was an accident when uh, one of the biggest Russian warships in the Black Sea was, you know, was downed like, you know, there were like different versions on whether it was, you know, there was some some accident on the ship or whether it was targeted by Ukrainian troops. Mm, But um, but despite this accident, there are still lots of uh, Russian warships in the Black Sea. They cut off the maritime routes for uh, Ukrainian cargo going in and out of the Ports such as Odessa. Mm. So the maritime uh, trade right now is in jeopardy because as I said, Ukrainian wheat used to go to the markets of the countries like Egypt or like in you know, problems with growing crops. So yeah, uh, lots of troubles are going to happen in the future. I'm afraid. And yeah, and uh, going back to your question, so, um, everybody's talking about Plan B of Russia, you know, uh, or the so-called second phase of Russian invasion. As I said, as I said in the very beginning of our talk, that for for the first month of uh, the invasion, we were witnessing the so-called Plan A with an attempt to encircle the capital city. But now we're we're expecting a uh, Second phase of plan B mm. of Russia. And um, as you know, you know, uh, it's a secret. Nobody knows what, what to expect. And again, I'm referring to Western Clark, right? Uh, general that uh, the, you know, uh, we shouldn't be too, way too optimistic when we saw, uh, Russian troops pulling out from the capital city of Ukraine because uh, it simply meant the regrouping. So yes, the Russian troops pulled out, but they headed toward the Donbass to uh, to consolidate their power and start an offense against the Ukrainian army. So I think uh, we, we all soon gonna see what is coming next, uh, well, I think in the nearest month, and in summer, uh, we're going to see the, what we're heading to, mm. but everything, everything depends on the so-called second phase of the Russian invasion of plan B and everybody talks about, it. so like everybody's expecting it. So, mm. and, uh, and unfortunately nobody knows, like everybody knows it's going to happen, but nobody knows what exactly going to happen. So. You know, as I said, everything depends on uh, arms supply from the West, because again, and again, I'm referring to General Wesley Clark, when he said that Ukraine desperately needs more heavy artillery and aircraft.
0: Hmm. Brother, I have one more question to add on. You know, uh, as you are sharing the end of the conversation, at the end of the day, that we are all human beings. It doesn't matter if you're Ukrainian, you're Russian, you're Chinese, you're South Korean, or you're from Finland, you know, it doesn't matter. But again, as human beings, as decent human, that we feel the pain and we try to show the sympathy and the compassion to the people who are suffering today. So to you personally, again, this is just the additional question as I was listening to what you're saying. Throughout the entire month and throughout witnessing the up and downs and all the changes, what did you learn personally throughout the war? So in other words, is there anything that you learned, consider as a wake-up call, consider as something that in your life, that in this age, that you were not expected yourself to understand this, but it just came to you as the war progresses every day
1: as a Christian and
0: as a believer I just uh, I understand that I need to pray to God more mm. frequently um, and to
1: ask him to uh, give me more wisdom on how to act uh, you know more smartly mm. so, yeah we'll put it this way okay yeah mm. yeah I would say this is the main question.